following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. Good morning, everyone. Like Chris said, my name's Eric. I've got my preaching boots on. So um, happy Labor Day weekend to everyone. Um, And Chris touched on this a little bit, but Labor Day is kind of a unique holiday. It it doesn't really... uh, like commemorate anyone or any certain event. It's really just a, a holiday to uh, celebrate and pay tribute to those who work, to those who labor, to the American work workforce. So if you have a job or at one point you had a job, um, Labor Day is to honor you. So enjoy, enjoy the day, uh, the day off on Monday. We're glad you're spending part of your weekend with us. Um, to those who are streaming online, uh, welcome to, to you as well. Uh, please, please pray with me as, as we get started. God, This morning, may the words that I preach, may the things we think about, the things we meditate on, be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, we're going to continue our sermon mini-series about a fun topic. We're going to keep talking about church discipline. Um, Mini-series, meaning it's going to be two weeks. Chris preached last week, the first part of of the series, and, and this is the second part today. Last week, Chris preached out of uh, Matthew 18, and one of his main points was that discipleship and discipline is done out of relationships, and that the majority of church discipline will and should take place in one-on-one relationships. It's, it's my brother or sister in Christ confronting a sin in my life, or, or it's me going to someone that I have a relationship with and, and addressing a sin in their life. And that's how most church discipline should take place. If your brother sins, you, you tell them his fault, you and you alone. And if he's, he's not receptive to you telling him his sin, then you do it with two to three other people. And if that doesn't work, then you tell it to the church. And, and so this morning, we're going to talk a little bit more about the, the tell it to the church part. And so again, this sermon is intended to build on Chris's sermon from last week. If you missed that, go online and, and, and give it a listen. Um, they're, they're, they're intended to be, uh, to, to be listened to together. Make sure you listen to them both. Surprisingly, there aren't a ton of resources on, on, or study material on church discipline. And so I lean really heavily on material from a guy named Jonathan Lehman. He's a, a writer for Nine Marks. He's a, an elder at a Baptist church in Maryland. And so I'm grateful to him for, for his insight on, on this topic. When you hear discipline, when you hear the word discipline, what, what do you think of? What, what comes to mind? Maybe, maybe it's how your parents disciplined you or, or didn't discipline you when you were young. Maybe it's how you're working through disciplining your children currently. Maybe you hear discipline and you think punishment. Maybe you hear discipline and you think practice or rules. And so the word discipline likely strikes us all a bit differently and means something a bit different to each of us. I think most of us like the idea of discipline or we would like to say that we're disciplined, but if we did a comparison, we'd see that we, we each approach discipline a little bit differently. For example, I think most of us would say it's important to be disciplined when it comes to exercise or to nutrition. I think a lot of us would, would agree that discipline is the key to, to losing weight or gaining muscle or getting into better cardiovascular shape. But tomorrow at that barbecue, when, when the brownies and the cookies are out, how do you feel about discipline then? Are you, are you able to be disciplined when, when, when the dessert's on the table? Or when the alarm clock goes off at 5.30 a.m. for that morning workout, do we have the discipline to get up? And, and so while I think most of us can agree that discipline's important, 
when it actually comes time to practice discipline or be disciplined, our mindset might change some. Suddenly it doesn't quite seem as important or as urgent. The idea of getting the better, into better shape seems great until it's time to make some sacrifices in your diet. Giving your child consequences to teach them seems like a really good idea until you actually have to punish them. And this is because discipline is hard. Being disciplined and applying discipline, these, these are hard things. I've read that one of the best things that parents can do when it comes to discipline is to have thought about, determined, or agreed upon what types of disobedient actions from their child will, de- will, will generate what types of discipline. Having thought through and talked about this in advance gives parents a game plan and helps them to be, be consistent when they do need the discipline. And so when my wife, Ann, and I, when we became parents, we started, we started having these conversations, and we still have these, these conversations because, believe it or not, there's, there's two beautiful, cute, innocent-looking daughters of ours. You've, you've probably seen them running around the church at some time. They're also cute little sinners. They, they, mis, they misbehave, and, and so we need to discipline them at times. And, and so Ann and I agreed that certain behaviors, we would, we would discipline certain behaviors through spankings. And so we discussed how and when we would spank. We discussed who would do it, what, what things we would say to them before and after we, after we gave the spanking. And then, and then we agreed that other behaviors would be disciplined differently. If the girls lied to us, this would be the consequence. If, if they hit each other, there would be a consequence for that. If they disobeyed, here's how we would handle it. If our oldest daughter tied up her younger sister and then tied her to a shelf in her room, we had a consequence for that. <laughs> we, we, we didn't really have a consequence for that. We not, it never even crossed our mind. It actually happened, but, but it, it, we, did, didn't, uh, we, we didn't game plan for that. But, but that's kind of the point. Even though we didn't talk about a plan for every scenario, simply by talking about discipline ahead of time, it helped us to be prepared and on the same page when, when things came up. And so this spring and this summer, Fathom's elders did, did something similar. We spent lots of time working through Fathom's process of church discipline so that we have a better plan in place for the time that we need it. Jonathan Lehman said, we must work on the things of the church when we're not in the crisis of those things to make us ready for what may come. And so that's what we did this summer. We developed Fathom's church discipline process, and it's not a one-size-fits-all approach. We didn't go through every conceivable sin or situation and document an approach to it, but a lot of our conversations were around process and guidelines. How do we as elders assess the situation? What are the, the questions we should ask? What are the steps we should take? Who should we involve or not involve in the process? Part of the process of, of, of discipline and part of the process of working on the things of the church is that it's not just limited to something that the elders do. It's, it's something we as a church body should talk about together. <clears throat> just like parents should discuss discipline ahead of time before they need discipline, a church should talk about discipline ahead of time as well. And that's, that's, that's what we're doing today. The goal is for all of us to understand a biblical basis for church discipline because it's not just something the elders do. It's something the entire church family should do, and it's something the entire church family should understand. And so today, I want to not only explain why church discipline is important, but also what it is, who it is for, and finally, how it will be done here at Fathom. 
So what, why, who, and how? Those, those are the questions we're going to answer today. We're going to use a passage in Hebrews 12 to help us answer these questions. So turn your Bibles uh, to Hebrews 12, verse 5. There are Bibles underneath every chair if you don't have one. Um, Hebrews 12 is on page 1009 in those Bibles under your, under your chair. If you're streaming online, there's a Bible link that you can click on that'll take you there. If you're using your own Bibles or a Bible app, that's, that's fine also. We just want everyone to have the, the passage in front of them and, and read it for yourself. So we'll be in Hebrews 12, starting verse 5. Let's start this morning with, with the what. What is church discipline? As I mentioned at the start, too often I think we hear church discipline and we think punishment or consequences. We hear church discipline and we think excommunication. We hear excommunication, we think kicked out of the church. But excommunication really isn't kicking someone out of the church, nor is it fully church discipline. It's it's a part of church discipline, but it's not the full picture. And we'll talk about excommunication and what it means shortly. When I'm talking about what church discipline is, here's what I mean. Church discipline is a process by which the church addresses sin in a member's life. More succinctly, church discipline is a loving process to address sin. That's a what? A process based in love to address sin. Let's look at Hebrews 12. We'll start in the second half of verse 5, which says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So whether you're four years old or 40 years old, sometimes it's hard to see discipline as being loving. But like Chris explained last week, and as the Bible makes clear throughout the Old and the New Testament, discipline is a loving act. And so first, discipline is done out of love. It's a loving act. Whether we're talking about church discipline or disciplining a child, if it's not done out of love, it's probably not being done correctly. Secondly, discipline is a process. Go down to verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Sorry, I'm getting... Sorry about that. Um, Notice the last phrase at the end of the verse, to those who have been trained by it. What this is saying is that church discipline is not just a consequence or a punishment for sin, but it's it's something you're trained in. It's a process. It's an experience. It's training for holiness and for righteousness. It's a progression or a development. So just just like a pro football player doesn't simply suit up and play the game, discipline isn't a one-time event. It's it's a process. A football player works out year-round. They have mini camps and training camps, preseason games. All the time they're in training, getting coaching. They're disciplining their bodies and their minds. So training is a process, and and so is discipline. Last week, Chris explained that there are two types of discipline. Some discipline is formative, while other discipline is reformative or corrective. And and John Lehman describes the two forms of discipline in this way. Formative discipline helps to form the disciple through instruction. Corrective discipline helps to correct the disciple through correcting sin. And just like formative discipline, corrective discipline can take many and multiple forms. It could start with a conversation about sin. It could be putting accountability measures into place, or it could be recommending counseling, or facilitating discussions with the parties involved, or when necessary, excommunicating. 
Corrective discipline or correcting sin, it's definitely the harder of the two types of discipline. And, and correcting sin is the third part of the, of the what of church discipline. So church discipline is a loving process to address sin. Now I've mentioned, I've mentioned twice now excommunication, but let me explain that, explain that a little bit more fully. I think often we hear this kind of Catholic-sounding term, excommunication, and we think kicked out of the church. And that's, that's not a completely accurate definition. Excommunicating is really excommunioning. That is, it's removing someone from communion with the church body. In 1 Corinthians 5.4, Paul tells a church in Corinth to remove an unrepentant church member. Excommunication, then, is a temporary separation designed to ultimately bring about repentance of sin. It's not forbidding someone from coming to church. And I'll, I'll repeat something again that Chris said last week. Church is the best place for someone caught up in sin to be. We want, we want people to be in church, especially if they're, if they're struggling with sin. There, there might be times where due to the safety concerns or something that someone will be prevented from coming to church, but that's not the norm. We want people under church discipline to still be in church. But excommunication is a removal. It's a public exclusion from the fellowship of the local church. A Fathom Covenant member confronted with outward and significant sin who is unrepentant of that sin will be excluded from communion with the church. Because at that point, if they're, if they're unrepentant of their sin, if they're refusing to acknowledge that it's wrong and, and they're continuing to live in that sin, we'll no longer be able to affirm that they're living as Christians. And so we can't, affirm that if we can't affirm that they're living as a Christian, we must also refuse them communion with the church. And we say, that, we say it each week at the end of the sermon, if you don't consider yourself a Christian, if you, if you haven't accepted Christ into your life, then, then we ask you to abstain from, from communion, from the Lord's Supper, because the Lord's Supper is something that's, that's reserved for believers. We would also revoke the covenant membership of a member under excommunication until the Lord brings about repentance in their lives and in their hearts. Excommunication is really a last resort. It's the last and a final step in a long process of discipline. But it is an option. It's one of the tools in the church discipline toolbox. It's the elders' desire to see every person who is confronted with sin to turn from their sin in repentance. But if they refuse, if they're unrepentant, if they, if they willingly want to continue in their sin, then the elders must act through discipline and, and possibly excommunication. But it's out of love for the disciples. It's out of love for the church that we're leading. Again, it's intended to be temporary until, until Jesus brings about repentance in their hearts. But when necessary, Fathom will practice excommunication as part of church discipline. It's, it's a slice. It's a part of church discipline. But again, the full, the full what of church discipline is that it is a loving process to address sin. Let's move on to the why. Why church discipline? Why is church discipline important? Is it just to help us as church elders and staff to keep the sheep in line? Is it so that as church attenders or members, you know the expectations of you? That the, the, the guardrails that you need to stay inside of if you want to be a member of our church? Is that, is that why it exists? I think the why for church discipline is much more than just a set of rules or guidelines. The Bible makes it clear that discipline is for our good, our growth, and our sanctification. It's, it's for us to grow closer to Jesus, both individually as disciples 
and overall as a church. Let's turn again to Hebrews 12. Let's read verses 10 through 15 together. For they, this is speaking about our earthly fathers, for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, this is being, he being God, he disciplined us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God so that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. So listen to some of the phrases that are used in these verses and in this passage. Share his holiness. Yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Lift your drooping hands. Strengthen your weak knees. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. The writer of Hebrews is painting a picture of growth, of health, of life, and of truth in a Christian. A Christian or a disciple is to be growing in holiness, in righteousness, and strength, striving for peace. And our job as Christians and as disciples is to proclaim Jesus Christ to the world around us. And we do this, we do this verbally, but also, and maybe more importantly, we do this in how we live our lives. And so sin in our lives prevents or harms that proclamation. Our sin hurts our witness to the world. And conversely, our growth as Christians and as disciples can enhance our proclamation. And so when we talk about discipleship here at Fathom, it's this growth that we're talking about. A disciple is someone seeking to follow Jesus more closely each day, someone seeking to grow in their walk with Christ. And John Lehman says, to be discipled is to be disciplined. And so discipline is a part of discipleship. We discipline out of part of our discipleship process. We discipline as a way to make disciples that are healthy, that are growing, that are holy, that are righteous, that are, are getting closer in their walk with, with Jesus. Someone who is striving to follow Jesus as a disciple may need discipline from time to time in order to follow Jesus more closely. The church's job is to point that disciple toward Jesus, to help steer them in the way they should go. The writer of Hebrews says, we as a church are to stir up one another to love and good works, to provide both formative discipline and corrective discipline. Too often people come to church seeking only the formative discipline. They want instruction. They want to hear good preaching or good teaching that can help them to be a better parent or to have a happier marriage or to be a better, better student or to have success at work or in life or to be a better person. But they don't realize that correction is just as important as instruction. So again, to use football as an illustration, suppose a coach draws up a play and it's, it's there in the playbook for the players to study and learn. And they've gone over in team meetings. They've, they've practiced the play. The offensive linemen, the receivers, the running backs, the quarterback, they all know what they're supposed to do in the play. But let's, let's say that one of the receivers runs the wrong pattern. They aren't where they're supposed to be, and they're not where the quarterback expects them to be. The play is most likely going to fail. 
And a good coach needs to address that mistake by the receiver. It's not, it's not enough just to teach the play, tell them what to do, and then do nothing else. A good coach will also correct the mistakes that are made. Maybe the coach addresses it verbally. He just points out that the receiver's error so they, they, can, they, they know what they did wrong. Maybe, maybe the coach pulls the receiver out of the game for a few plays and, and, and corrects the error with them and discusses it. Maybe the coach benches the player for a time so he can watch others run the plays correctly. Coaches may correct a player's mistakes in, in many ways, but the important thing is that they address and correct the mistakes. A coach that only instructs how to run the play but doesn't correct the errors in running the play isn't a good coach because correcting a player's error helps the player to learn and to grow and to get better. It will teach them so that they they can run the plays right the next time. It will make them better players, which will make the team better as a whole. The same is true with the church. Lots of churches have good good teaching or good programming or good men's and women's Bible studies. They're really good at the formative discipline, but but can they teach they can they can teach people how to run the plays, but but can they carry out corrective discipline? Will they stir up one another? Will they correct the disciple when they do wrong? That's that's the hard part. In coaching or in discipleship, corrective discipline is always going to be the hard part. Just like a good coach, a good church will not only provide formative discipline and teaching, but it will provide corrective discipline as well. And Fathom Church desires to be a church that will not only provide solid teaching and preaching, but will also correct sin when needed. Because we realize that both are necessary to help disciples be more like Jesus. Both are necessary to see disciples develop in growth, health, life, and truth. And so to continue our definition of, ch- of church discipline, church discipline is a loving process to address sin and bring growth, health, life, and truth. So a loving process to address sin, that's the what? To bring growth, health, life, and truth, that's the why. The last part of this definition of church discipline is the who. Who can be disciplined? Who can carry out church discipline? I'm going to answer the second question first. Who can carry out the discipline? Who has the authority to conduct church discipline? And the broad answer, quite simply, is the church, the local church. In our case, Fathom Church. The local church isn't a Bible study or a discipleship group. It isn't a prayer group or an accountability group. It isn't a group of Christian friends gathering together to worship. Those are all good things, but but they're not the local church. The local church isn't a denomination or a network either. Acts 29 network is not in the local church. Any, any church denomination isn't the local church. The local church is a group of people who meet officially and meet regularly. And they basically say to one another, you're a Christian. You belong to, to, to Jesus' kingdom and to his church. And they affirm and they oversee each person's walk and status as a Christian through teaching and preaching of the word, through, through things like communion and baptisms. The local church carrying out discipline is a picture that's painted for us throughout the book of Acts and, and the New Testament. But even before the book of Acts, it was Jesus who established the local church. In Matthew 16, for the first time in the New Testament, Jesus uses the Greek word for church, ecclesia, And in Matthew 16, he's talking to his disciples and he tells them, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And then he gives them permission to forbid and permit in the church the things that are forbidden and permitted in heaven. 
And so the local church is given authority from Jesus in our lives. The local church has authority to say what is right or wrong in our lives. It has authority to say the things that are permitted and what things are forbidden. And the local church has authority to say what things are sinful. Now, these aren't popular statements in our society. Our culture is more comfortable with ideas like, you do you, find your truth, live in your truth, do what's best for you. The idea that, that someone or something has authority to speak truth in your life is not, is not popular, but Jesus stated that the church has that authority. So if the church has authority to practice church discipline, then who does it have authority to practice discipline on? Who, who is the church that it can practice discipline on? And this is where church membership becomes important. Now, if you've been to a pastor's coffee here at Fathom or, or to our covenant membership classes, you've likely heard Chris or an elder say that at Fathom, we hold a very high view of church membership. And, and that, that means that we think church membership is very important, important to both the church as a whole, but also important in the life of, of an individual, of, 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 the, of the member. And by the way, if you're interested in church membership at Fathom, um, our next membership classes are coming up in October, so be on the lookout for that. But it is through our church membership that Fathom is able to identify who has submitted themselves to the church's authority. Fathom's covenant members are those who have, they've, they've, they've said, we're in. We, 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 we submit to Fathom Church's authority in our lives. We submit to Fathom's authority to affirm us as believers and, and to disciple us as we seek to follow Jesus. And in return, Fathom Church declares that this person in our eyes is a Christian, that they've repented and believed. And so we affirm their status as disciples of Christ. We take responsibility for them, for their growth, to shepherd them, to, to disciple them, to care for and to pastor them, and if and when necessary, to discipline them. In fact, the church and specifically the elders will ultimately be held responsible for discipling and disciplining our members. Hebrews 13, 17 states that the elders as leaders of the church will need to give an account for the souls that, of those that they lead. And this is why as part of our membership process, we have interviews. The elders or staff will meet with those wanting to become members. We want to ensure that they're repentant believers, that they've been baptized, because we need to be able to affirm and declare that they are Christians. And it's why on Membership Sundays, the new members stand up front and the existing members affirm them. And then together, the new and the existing members of Fathom Church covenant to walk together. And so here's the who of church discipline. It is the local church who can discipline and members of the local church who can be disciplined. And so here's what this means. It means we're not in the business of disciplining non-members. Only the covenant members of Fathom who have willingly put themselves under the authority of Fathom will be disciplined by Fathom. And so while we love and we appreciate each person who walks down the hall on a Sunday, whether it's a first-time visitor or just a regular uh, long-time attender, it's the covenant members of Fathom who will ultimately be held, that we'll ultimately be held responsible to provide discipline for. Earlier, I talked about Ann and I disciplining our, our daughters and, and, and how if, if our girls dis disobey, if they disobey something that we've, we've forbidden, that, that we have specific act, uh, actions or consequences that we'll take. And, and I mentioned that sometimes we'll spank them. But that doesn't mean I'm going to spank your kids if your kids misbehave. 
Your, your kids aren't mine. I don't have that authority to discipline them like you do. And church discipline is the same way. Just like parents only have authority to discipline their own kids, the church only has authority to discipline its own members. And the church doesn't have authority to discipline those who have not submitted themselves to the church. And so to complete our definition, church discipline is a loving process to address sin and bring growth, health, life, and truth into the life of a church member or a disciple. So that was the what, the why, and the who of church discipline. Now I'd like to move a little bit more practically to discuss the how behind discipline here at Fathom. As I, as I mentioned at the start, the elders spent a lot of time this spring working through and refining our approach. And our work, it didn't result in a step-by-step process to church discipline because each situation is different and may warrant a different approach. Each person is different and may, and may need to be disciplined differently. But we've we formed a set of guidelines and principles to operate with. And these, these are very high level, but they're intended to be high level. These are the overall principles we'll use and apply to each and every situation, even though each and every situation will be different. The first step is that we'll want to ensure, before the elders even get involved, that the church initiates the discipline process. This is why Chris taught on Matthew 18 last week. Discipline should start with someone going to their brother or their sister, someone that they have a relationship with individually to talk about their sin. Hebrews 3.13 says, But exhort one another every day, as long as, it is called, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So before sending the elders address, we want to know the church members starting addressing it, start addressing it together individually first. But as Jesus points out in Matthew 18, there will be times when things, things are escalated and it's necessary to involve others. At some point, the elders may get involved. And so our next step is to communicate the intentions to the parties involved. If someone's accused of sin, we want them to know that our foremost goal an objective is for loving repentance, for reconciliation, and for growth. We want to know that we're acting out of love for them and that we want to see an end to sin, but also see their growth and their health through this. The elders and the church have every intention of seeing every act of discipline ultimately result in repentance and restoration. That's, that's the intention, repentance. That's why we discipline, to bring about repentance of sin. And so then the next step for the elders is to investigate the issue. And here we'll give every member the benefit of the doubt, asking, is the issue real and credible? Is, is the accusation of sin accurate? Do we understand the full picture and the full situation? Do we understand the person's background, their spiritual maturity, the relationships involved? And we'll strive to move at an appropriate pace to allow us to carefully consider the entire issue to prayerfully and wisely investigate the full picture. And then if we find that church discipline is needed, then the last step is to introduce a discipline plan. The discipline plan will be designed to produce evidence of genuine repentance, correction of the issue in, in the person's life, a true turning away of the sin, and a sincere turning towards holiness. The plan will include steps towards restoration. The plan will likely consist of both formative steps and reformative or corrective steps. A good discipline plan will be appropriate for the impact of the sin. Asking, is this an issue that can be addressed privately? 
Can the elders address a sin with, with a person and lead them towards repentance? Or is this a sin that deserves formal and public discipline? Does it deserve excommunication? So Fathom doesn't have a specific list of sins that we will and we won't address. Paul, in some of his letters, does provide some of these types of lists. For example, in 1 Corinthians 5, he lists sexual immorality, greed, being an idolater, a reviler, a drunkard, a swindler, all as sins deserving of discipline. But this list certainly isn't all-inclusive. There are many other sins that, that could and, and would lead to discipline. Paul's list in, in 1 Corinthians 5 is meant to be indicative of the types of sins that may lead to church discipline. But we don't have a list. In absence of a list, generally there are three traits of a sin that will make it deserving of public formal excommunication. The first is that a sin must be outward. It can't be something that is internal only. An outward sin can be seen or heard or observed. There's visual evidence of an outward sin. A sin must also be significant for it to be disciplined formally and publicly. This is certainly subjective. We're asking which sins are, are big enough that we'll, we'll discipline them. But again, there's sins that, unrepentant sins and persistent sins, that make it difficult to believe that someone living in that sin is living as a Christian. And then finally, and probably most importantly, a sin must be unrepentant for it to be disciplined formally and publicly. If the person ref refuses to repent of the sin, or refuses to turn away, or even acknowledge that it's wrong, then it, it may be an issue worthy of discipline. And so here, here are a few examples to hopefully help, help clarify this. Some sins are hard issues. Things like anxiety or, or pride, envy, worry, greed. These may be significant issues, significant sins, but, but they're not outward sins. They're, they're hard issues. They're in, internal. And so they won't be disciplined publicly. However, if there's something like physical abuse or infidelity or persistent substance abuse, those types of things are outward and public and they are significant. And so they may be disciplined publicly. Now, suppose, suppose one morning you're out in the hall and you hear me talking to someone in the hall and I'm telling them about a recent fishing trip that I went on. And, and I'm completely embellishing my story, which, by the way, is something that all fishermen do. They embellish their stories. But I'm completely embellishing my story. I'm grossly exaggerating how many fish I caught, how big the fish were. And, and I'm lying about everything. And, and somehow you know that I'm lying. And so you confront me. And when you confront me about it, I deny it. I entirely refuse to acknowledge that I'm lying. I would probably be guilty of sin. But is this embellishment a sin worthy of public and formal discipline? Probably not. It is outward and it might be unrepentant, but, but it's not a significant sin. Now suppose someone is, is cheating on their spouse and they're confronted with it. This is something that's both outward and significant. But if they're willing to stop, if they acknowledge the wrong and the sin in what they've done, if they're repentant and that they're turning away from, from their sin, if they're willing to, to seek restoration and forgiveness from their spouse, then any discipline approach from the church would support that repentance and restoration process. And it would not be a formal or public process. But in that same example I just gave, someone cheating on their spouse, suppose they refuse to stop. 
When they refuse to repent, they say, no, I'm going to keep doing this. I want to do this. This feels good. I'm going to keep doing this. They, they don't acknowledge that as wrong. Here's an outward, significant, and unrepentant sin. And so can we as elders and can we as a church stand before God and, and see the person living this way and still acknowledge that this person is, is reflecting Christ in their life and how they're living their life? I'd have a hard time doing so in a case of ongoing and unrepentant sin like that. So formal and public discipline, excommunication may be necessary in this situation. And again, excommunication would be the final step in, in a long process of discipline. It would, it would involve an announced suspension of the member's participation in the membership of the church and in the Lord's Supper. But a path towards rest, restoration, repentance, and reconciliation would be laid out. But, but excommunication would take place until that path is followed. And I know all of these determinations are very subjective. And it's why, why the elders are constantly praying for wisdom. It's why you should pray for your elders. Please pray for us. This stuff isn't easy. As I said all along, discipline is hard. And so to recap Fathom's process, here's how we'll approach church discipline. The church initiates the discipline process. The elders communicate intentions. The elders investigate the issue the elders introduce a discipline plan. That's, that's our process. That's how we'll approach church discipline. Now, at the end of last week's sermon, Chris, Chris shared his, his discipline story with you. And, and this week, I'm going to end my sermon by sharing my discipline story with you. My story is also Chris's story. And it's, it's also Fathom Church's story. So back in February of 2019, it was brought to my attention by, by several people in the church that, that Chris was potentially plagiarizing other pastors' sermons. And at that time, we were holding our elder meetings on Monday nights. And this, was on, this occurred on a Monday during the day, and, and was, that's when it was brought to my attention. So I did some initial research to confirm that the accusation may be accurate, and I brought it to the attention of the other elders. And that night at our meeting, we asked Chris about the accusation. We, we confronted him. We said, hey, this was brought to our attention. We did some research. It appears to be a valid claim. Is it accurate? And I don't remember Chris's exact words that night, but, but I clearly remember his posture. And he essentially said, yeah, it's accurate. I've, I've been doing, doing that, and it's, it's something I'm, I'm not proud of. When confronted with a sin from the outset, Chris demonstrated a repentant heart and posture. And he apologized to the elders that night. He apologized and asked forgiveness of the church later that week. And that posture, right from the very first night, really set the course for the process that followed. Because of the public nature of Chris's sin and the significance of his role as lead pastor, we as the elders decided that a formal and public process was needed. We wanted to, we wanted to assess Chris's posture and his heart over a period of time. We also wanted, wanted him to repent and reconcile with, with folks in the church and do some counseling and address some of the issues that, that led to his dryness and, and burnout. We, we wanted Chris to get healthy again. And from that night in February and for the months that followed, we were able to observe Chris and, and continually we saw a repentant heart and a humble posture from him. A turning away from what he'd done and a turning towards growth and, and health. 
And so Chris went through a rigorous process of both corrective and reformative discipline. It was a 10-month process. Some counseling, lots of meetings with the elders, lots of meeting, meetings with church members and regulars, asking forgiveness, but also receiving forgiveness. Now, I wish I could say this was a textbook definition of how to carry out church discipline. I wish I could say that both Fathom Church and its elders addressed this issue of sin in a manner that was 100% by the book, that was smooth, easy, and graceful, but it wasn't. It was hard. Like I've been saying from the start, discipline is always going to be hard. We made some mistakes. There are things I would do differently the next time around. It wasn't a smooth and seamless and easy process. Chris and I had some hard conversations that, that challenged our relationship at times. People in the church got angry at how it was handled. Some thought the elders were too hard on Chris. Some thought the elders were too easy on Chris. Some people left the church. Again, it was hard. 2019 was a hard, hard year for me. It was, it was a hard year for Chris Martin. It was a hard year for Fathom Church. But here's the thing. I'm better for having gone through 2019. I'm a better elder because of it. I've grown in my own walk, in my own discipleship for having gone through that hard year. I think I'm a healthier, stronger person for it. Chris Martin is better for it. He's addressed some of the dryness and burnout that led him to that situation in the first place. He surrounded himself with more ongoing accountability and support. He's learning from his past mistakes and his tendencies and temptations. And Fathom Church is better for it. Our lead pastor has grown. Our elder board is stronger and more experienced. Our staff is humble and healthier. We've learned more about church discipline and are even better prepared for the next situation. We're more convinced that church discipline is important and necessary in the life of a disciple, but also in the life of a church. Fathom Church's first real taste of church discipline, the first time the elders of the church had to formally and publicly discipline a member of the church, it involved the lead pastor of a small, young church plant in a sin that occurred from the pulpit. It resulted in lots of upheaval at Fathom. Members left. People stopped coming. There was staff turmoil. Elders were exhausted. It looked like a situation that a five-year-old church plant probably wouldn't withstand. After all, there are 15,000-person megachurches that folded under situations involving discipline to their lead pastor. But the mystery of God is this. He spared our little church. Where many churches our size and our situation would have crumbled, he brought Fathom through. And he's building us up again. He's growing us into a healthier church where life and truth are present, where people are being discipled and disciplined. I think 2019 was a season of God disciplining Fathom Church. But I'm convinced that God disciplined us out of love for us, to grow us so that we might be healthier, so that we might share in his holiness. God disciplines those he loves so that we might walk closer to him, be more like his son Jesus, and share in his holiness. And that's why we practice church discipline. That's why we should be, want to be a part of a church that practices church discipline. 
so we might share in God's holiness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as I said all, all morning, church discipline is hard. It's hard. It's hard to talk about. It's hard to teach about. It's hard to carry out. And Lord, I don't know how this, uh, this, this message this morning is, is hitting people. I pray that if, if someone here is, is a covenant member of, of Fathom Church, that, that they, would be, they would be encouraged that, that they're in a church that wants to practice church discipline and wants to help them walk closer with you. Wants to help them grow in their, in their walk and, and grow in their, in their likeness of you. And, and so God, I pray that, that, that a church member, a covenant member here at Fathom would, would embrace that and would lean into that and would would take part in that, that process of, of helping each other grow close to you. And, and God, I pray if, if there's a, a regular here, a regular attender of Fathom, they call Fathom their home, but maybe they haven't taken a step of, of church membership yet, that perhaps they would be encouraged this morning to realize that, that membership and the church discipline that comes with it is a good thing and that's something that they want, they want to submit to and take part in. So God, maybe they would be encouraged to take that next step in their walk and, and, and pursue membership. And God, maybe there's someone, someone here that's, that's here at, at, at Fathom for the first time or maybe they're here at church for the first time or the first time in a long time and, and God, maybe there's, there's someone that they're not, they're not even Christians and they, they haven't accepted you in their life and they're, they're really questioning what all this church discipline stuff is about, this confrontation of sin. And God, I just pray that you would, you would see that, that they would see and hear that church discipline is about love. It's about your love for us and your desire for us to walk more closely with you and more like you, be more like you each day. And so God, I pray that someone that's new to the faith wouldn't, wouldn't hear discipline and think punishment, but they would hear dis- discipline and think a loving process. And so God, however this, this message may be hearing so in this morning, Lord, I pray that it would draw us closer to you, draw us to, to be more like you and to walk with you in, in health and growth and life and in truth. So God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you discipline us because you love us. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.